You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. We're back on Talk of the Bay, and now we're going to take a forbidden look into the House of Ackerman with Al Estrella and James Green. They've written a photographic tour of the legendary Acker Mansion. Thank you for joining me, Al. You're welcome. And Jim? You're welcome. Now, not everybody is quite as steeped in Ackermania as are the three of us. So, uh, Al, why don't you tell me, tell us who Forrest Ackerman is? Well, Forrest J. Ackerman, or how we like to uh, call him, Uncle Forey, is, uh, was the, uh, one of the world's leading experts on science fiction movies, literature, and horror films. He was the editor of Famous Monsters of Filmland magazine, which was the monster bible for us monster kids back in the early 60s, which came about after Shock Theater was showing uh, a lot of the horror films released on TV. And I became acquainted with the uh, Famous Monsters through issue 28, and I've been a loyal Famous Monsters Forey Ackerman fan since. Jim, tell us how, how you came in, into uh, the orbit around the, uh, the, the Acker Sun. Okay. Well, that, that goes back to, I'm about um, going on 56 right now, and this goes back to being about age eight or nine years old when, uh, like Al, I was watching a lot of the shock theater uh, generated horror movies on TV, and I was a big fan of King Kong and Frankenstein and Dracula and the Wolfman. And when I first saw Famous Monsters of Filmland hitting the shelves, um, it, it blew my mind that there were that many other people that were into this other than I and a couple of friends and so um Forey was all over the magazine and he uh had a very strong personality everyone loved him his puns were just legendary and th- that was part of what made it a fun read and we followed him all through the years the magazine stayed in circulation till uh 1983 i believe 1983 and uh and then it got regenerated in the 1990s or the 2000s for a short spell, and then and then fell apart, and then was recently regenerated again under new ownership. Like so, Frankenstein's monster, you can't keep a good monster down. Exactly, yeah. So it's, it's a long, uh, a long uh, influence through our lives, but more more so than that, uh, if you were a fan of science fiction and science fiction anthologies, you would be familiar with Forrest J. Ackerman because he he compiled a lot of science fiction anthologies and wrote the introduction to. Uh, many many of them and uh and also wrote a lot of articles through the years in magazines and made ver- a lot of appearances on television all from the 1950s he was on uh uh what was that old talk show I, um uh he was on uh joe franklin's memory lane right joe yeah. franklin well, one of the things I think that you guys do really well in this book is to give us an idea of just what, you know, looking at, at the inside of his house is a really uh, fascinating picture. It's one of the most detailed portraits of a, of a man that I think you can find because 
every it's almost as if every one of his brain cells that ever held a piece of information was recast as a cheesy paperback book, a weird little piece of memora- movie memorabilia. Talk about going through and finding these photographs because this house, the original Acker Mansion, was is now long gone. And maybe give us an, uh, an idea of what the Acker Mansion was. Well, the Acker Mansion was a shrine to all that Forey loved. He had an 18-room mansion in the Hollywood Hills that was jammed to every cranny, was filled with science fiction and horror, film memorabilia, paintings, you name it, it was there. And he opened his doors every Saturday when he was in town for fans to come visit. And uh, for many years, since the early 50s, he was doing that with the original house on Sherbourne, and he moved on to the Glendower House and finally the Acker Mini Mansion in his later years, which he moved into in Russell Street when he had to downsize the original uh, Acker Mansion. You know, when I, I have to confess that in, I believe, seventh grade, one of my seventh grade teachers took us to I, the, what I'm pretty sure was the Sherborne House. It was in Silver Lake up, up on... Up up on the drive and it was such a strange you know school field trip because they took us to this private house and, and you know it was the 30 kids walking through this house and it was just jam-packed i felt like all the stuff that was in it was almost going to attack me and i think that was probably part of uh you know deliberate on his part to to use his space to create uh, uh, an analog of the kind of fear that he liked that he found in movies and it wasn't like the kind of really gross out horror no. although no, some no, of there no. was some there was some there's certainly some some gore in it but it, it was more there's a, i think a feeling of real uh joy in everything that that ackerman did and especially in his magazine right right it was incredibly colorful for mm-hmm. one thing and 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 you're correct that there was a bit of sensory overload, which I do believe was quite deliberate. And in in an age before psychedelia existed, the Acker Mansion, <laughs> in its own way, was very psychedelic. It sure was. You know, I never thought about it that way. Yeah, that was it was definitely like it was a kaleidoscope and, of color. Yeah, <laughs> every inch of it, it, it. He wouldn't put it this way. He did not tolerate space. <laughs> no, no, no. And, and I'm looking at some of the, some of the pictures you have here, um, where you just will see shelves crammed, you know, with books, with posters, with you know, pieces, chunks of things from movie, from the Outer Limits. So, talk about how, how did how did he manage to acquire all this stuff? Well, before he started collecting with his first stills from Just Imagine, that his uh, maternal grandmother gave him back in about, I believe, 1930 or so, and his collection grew from there. He, he, excuse me. <clears throat> he was also fortunate enough to uh, make acquaintance with Carl Lemley, the uh, president of Universal Studios. And basically, uh, Mr. Lemley gave Forey carte blanche and said, give this boy anything he wants. And he was able to acquire um, many uh, you know, press books and posters. And, uh, you know, you, you know, he had uh, Boris Karloff's... Uh, Neck bolts from Frankenstein. Really? He had um, Bella Lugosi's medallion from Dracula. There's just countless items that he was able to acquire 
When no one else wanted these things, the studios were throwing these things away. This was considered waste product once once their product was was created that they were going to make the money off of. The rest was just dross that they would just get rid of. And Forey was one of the first people to see value in this, that this is something that should be kept as an archive to keep a record of these wonderful things happening in, in, in film, creating fantasy and making it come to life. And he actually... Uh, uh, came across the original sound discs for the movie Frankenstein. Which were stolen. Which were stolen from the Acker Mansion, as I should say, uh, quite a number of things. Not a, n- and when you think about the fact that at least 50,000 people, according to his count, had passed through the Acker Mansion over the years, very few things were stolen. And according to inside sources, they were probably from people that were close to him that may have had a little grudge or something like that. For, for the most part... His trust was was uh, was returned, and and people really enjoyed the fact that you could look at the creature of the Black Lagoon, touch it, even, wow, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting too that the man had a sense of what what was history, what what mattered in history, because at a time now, I think we have more, uh, much more of an appreciation for what you might call trash culture. Uh, and I don't say that disparagingly. It's just, you know, stuff that's not meant to be highbrow. It's meant to be fun and enjoyable and somewhat disposable, but ultimately becomes a, almost a better picture of the culture that produced it than its most literary uh, aspirations. And I think that his sense of history was really important. Well, there's this uh, great quote from Jules Pfeiffer, which was, uh, we know it's trash, but it's good trash. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, now, uh, you guys have some pretty remarkable pictures here. Talk about going out and, and finding these people, finding these pictures, and, and getting them into your book. Well, most of the photos uh, were taken by me and Jim on our uh, visits at the Acker Mansion through the years. My first visit was 1990, and uh, I took a number of photos, and I made a number of visits afterwards, and uh, just kept on clicking my shutter. And finally, uh, I had a whole scrapbook full of photos, and me and Jim would, would share him and enjoy him. And uh, when Forey uh, disbanded the Sherborne House, uh, there was a need I felt for a monument, a something, a testament for the the house. And Forey was very uh, much uh, for it. He backed this project all the way, and he was very excited that this book would be uh, keeping a record, you know, of his home and his collection. The book is not also, you know, it's Forey's you know, collection, but it's about the man too, Forey, and you can't separate one from the other. No, no, I think that's one of the important aspects uh, of the book and and of uh, Forey is that um, he was in many ways more, Forrest Ackerman, I think, was almost more his collection than than the man. I mean, he was kind of like a he was the Wizard of Oz uh, of his collection. <laughs> the Pied Piper for us monster kids. Mm. Right, right. <laughs> well, well, uh, he really, he didn't have any children himself. Neither he nor his wife had, had his wife, Wendane, who herself was an expert in science fiction in Europe, and she's written many, many articles and books on the subject. But um, they didn't have children, but he really was Uncle Forey to all us little kids. And I do remember clearly... When I used to see his photo in the magazine, I used to really want to meet this guy because none of the other grown-ups in my life understood why I wanted to read this magazine at mm-hmm. the breakfast table. Well, and 
that magazine too, I think, was in many ways uh, for a, a couple of generations. I'd say maybe three or four uh, generations. Uh, our first window into the kind of the forbidden. I mean, these. These are the kind of pursuits that parents never encourage almost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I'd like you to talk about uh, Forrest J. Ackerman just in terms of his uh, sense of being um, kind of a, a, a rebel and encouraging that rebellion in children. I mean, he was, a, he was a, arguably the greatest corrupter of youth in the United <laughs> States. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, we were all, uh, us monster kids were adopted by Uncle Forey. Um, he didn't have children of his own, but he adopted all of us uh, monster kids through the pages of famous monsters. And we, in turn, uh, uh, Uncle Forey uh, just grew up with his um, you know, famous monsters of Filmland magazine. And thankfully, my mom was one of the uh, cool uh, moms, and she encouraged me and my collecting. And she actually bought me my first uh, monster model, which led me to the discovery of famous monsters. And um, so, and Jim too here. His mom, uh, luckily, she didn't throw out all. She his didn't throw them out. So magazines. I still have my original monster models, my original monster magazines. Thanks lucky to guy, my wonderful mom. <laughs> God bless you, mom. Uh, well, it should also be mentioned that you know from the very beginning, uh, Forey was a really young lad when he started his interest in this, and he started the world's first international science fiction club. Really? Yes, he was involved in first fandom. When was he? Age thirteen, I believe. Uh, right about then, and he was corresponding with the head of Universal Studios around that time. This young upstart was writing him, mm-hmm. giving him suggestions as to what movies he should be making, and uh, with a lean towards <laughs> the fantastic. And so, so he got the scoop because uh, Carl Lemley uh, liked this little kid, and so he corresponded with him. And Forey started uh, one, of, well, was one of the people that started the very first fanzine for science fiction called Imagination. And uh, among the people involved in it were Ray Harryhausen, Ray Bradbury, and a number of other key people that belonged to the Los Angeles Science Fiction Club. And uh, that was at a time where little science fiction clubs were appearing in big cities around the country, but they were the only ones into this stuff. And so out, so out of that, he got a lot of scoops as to upcoming movies from Carl Lemley, and he would write about it in the magazine. And he collected all the stills, eventually had over 125,000 still, stills from uh, movies in his collection. Well, it, it strikes me, too, that <clears throat> when I'm looking at your book, the, the sense of history here and the breadth of history is pretty amazing because I'm looking at a picture of the Acker Mansion that has a, a replica of the Beast from Curse of the Demon, which is a Jacques Tournay film, a gorgeous and mm-hmm. still extremely frightening film uh, mm-hmm. based on an MRJ story called Casting the Runes. Loosely, was, loosely mm-hmm. based on Aleister Crowley. Yeah, oh yes. And um, that was from, that movie was from the 30s, was it? Uh, the 50s. 50s. And uh, next to this uh, critter is a nice uh, upside down alien. That's a that's a big span to, to maintain that interest. And I'm wondering if you could talk about just the span of history that the man encompasses. In one man, we've got like more than half a century of of looking at a very specific aspect of our culture and very consistently preserving it and bringing it in 
to to people who might not ever be familiar with it. Mm-hmm. Well, Forey uh, tried to be a completist, so he collected from the classic horror all the way to uh, the Gora film, is what I like to call a slasher film. He would be Freddy Krueger right next to a picture of Bella Lugosi. So uh, Forey just had a love for all of it, and uh, this house it was, it was a testament to it. It was basically a shrine to his love for all things fantastic. Now, he, it went through several uh, uh, incarnations. You mentioned some of them. Talk about you know the, the original house and uh, some of the subsequent places he moved and lived. And, and you know, it's not uh, it's not all happiness here because you know his collection is been somewhat lost and it's there's a certain right. sense of of tragedy i think um ultimately to this well Forey's dream was to have a museum that would house his collection eventually and he at one point did offer his collection to the city of la which and he was awarded a commendation from mayor tom bradley yes and uh but in their usual foresight they um didn't have a place i guess to house the project and they did not um take them up in the offer. There really isn't that much interest in um, Hollywood as an industry for, for uh, things of the past. They're very forward-looking. It's it's a business. It's an industry. They're looking for what they're going to, you know, their next blockbuster, where they're going to make their money. And what came in the past for them is just curious, but they would just as soon empty their warehouses of these things. Out with the old, in with the new, something like that. And so that is the tragedy of it, because a number of people were approached with, uh, you know, the idea of making it, preserving the museum, and 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 knowing that that was imminent, and knowing Forey, uh, we knew that this was going to be going on the auction block, and he was moving. We actually helped pack up things at the Acker Mansion, uh, put them in boxes, and that was kind of an interesting experience. We wrote about that in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we felt. The making of the book, actually, a lot of it was generated by the fact that this wasn't going to be around anymore. And we wanted to give people a a, a feeling of what it was like if they had never walked through it. Talk about... um, You know, this uh, helping to pack up the Ackermansion, that must must have been a kind of an emotional experience. And I, I think, you know, when you were talking about that, I, I just think the, that the smell of the books and, and, and the stuff must have been really, uh, I think, powerful. Well, if you told this monster kid 40-odd years ago that someday I'd be in the Acker Mansion packing up boxes of books, that I would have looked at you like, what? And would not have believed it. But uh, there I was. We did find ourselves there that night. And... Uh, and it was very strange uh, feeling. Yes, it was taking things off the walls and packing up the books and knowing that this was it. And it was a it was a very bittersweet feeling. Uh, but we were glad to do it to help him. Um, and it is a shame that the collection wasn't uh, housed properly. But now there is a lot of uh, fans out there that are enjoying pieces of his collection. It's been on eBay. It's been on the auction block. And it's been dispersed to the four winds. Uh. But the proceeds from the auction did go to a good cause because Forey did not have a family, but he did have a list of 17 heirs, people that he felt really could use some help that had been there with him all his life in some way, shape, or form. And so they were the recipients of the proceeds from the, um, from the auction. Mm-hmm. And so there was something good that did come of it. Uh, I, I'd like you to talk, too, about... Um, this 
something that the three of us shares is the idea of of fandom uh, of being um i think you know there's a sense of people who are outside of it that it's you know people who wear spock ears but i just don't <coughs> think that's the case mm -hmm. i think it's a <coughs> lot of people who who share an interest and i think it's you know in a sense the family you choose mm -hmm. uh i i th i think that uh, a lot of us monster kids that grew up in the famous monsters of Filmland. we have that common bond and we do love the old movies that's what i love i love the old uh and through Forey, we were all brought together through famous monsters and because when we were growing up we thought we were alone and there was no one else like us and you usually we were made fun of in school and when famous monsters came around we discovered wow there's a lot of kids just like us and this man Forey ackman that didn't talk down to us and he, he like uh, a lot of adults did at the time and he was someone that we could relate with and uh, so it is it has been a very nice journey no and it, as you say you call him uncle Forey, and you call yourself monster kids i, Our, I think that we're that, his nephews I guess <laughs> yeah i mean the monster kids extends to quite a number of people and the wonderful thing about this is it's a great social leveler uh, for example, uh, you know, the person who wrote the introduction for our book, John Landis, uh, John Landis mm -hmm. um, he's is just as an enthusiastic, he's way more, he is really, really out front about being a sci-fi kid mm -hmm. and a monster kid. And uh, when I met him uh, a little over a year ago at the Forrest J. Ackerman Tribute, which was a wonderful event at the Egyptian Theater in Los Angeles, Guillermo del Toro just made everyone cry and ray bradbury was in tears and oh it was just beautiful beautiful event and um so i i ran into him in the lobby and i brought some uh, i made some glossy handouts uh, promoting the book we didn't have a publisher yet but i wanted to get him and his name involved so i just waved it in front of him as he was talking to a couple of people and he just like went wait a minute what what what's this what's this and he grabbed it and he goes wow this is great wow what is this when's this coming out whoa is this a book wow this is great i said well john do you do you want to maybe uh be involved with it or write the introduction he goes here's my card give me a call email me email me <laughs> and you know and we were just instant friends because that's what this does it just takes you right we we're all the same kids that love the monsters love the dinosaurs love the spaceships we're all that way even in our you know peter jackson uh you know john landis steven spielberg we all see eye to eye on this. We're just kids that never grew up. <laughs> well, I, I remember watching uh, Francis Ford Coppola's first movie on Chiller on Channel 11 in, in uh, Dementor Dementia 13. 13. Oh, I mean, there's a scary. lot of uh, famous, uh, uh, you know, high, now highbrow acclaimed directors who got their start here. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the things I think you did really well with this book is that you've, this gives you the feel of the famous monsters of Filmland magazine, and I think that's really, really important to capture that kind of exuberance and energy because it's a timeless kind of energy, isn't it? Yes, it's kept me young. For it seems like. <laughs> Thanks for saying that. You know, because we we deliberately set out to do that. Um, we noticed a lot of the we our Al and I do not buy the uh, the new horror movie magazines and don't watch the new movies because for us it's gratuitous blood and gore. And that's not what got us into this in the first place. What got us into it is a lot of these old movies, even the bad B movies, had a charm. 
And the charm was that they were trying their best to scare you in spite of what the censors would not allow them to do. And so it, it made them more creative in their attempts. And I think that the way that Forey approached famous monsters was to inform us, tell us about how they made these. We really learned a lot from reading his books. Mm -hmm. But the publisher kept reminding him, look, you're writing for nine, ten-year-old boys. You know, write for them. And so he would write little jokes and make puns about the f ugly faces, like this guy really needs a shave, you know, and it's the wolf man, or this guy needs a dentist, or whatever. And his puns were hilarious. And so we wanted to keep that spirit that maybe a young kid might pick this up, and it's not going to mm -hmm. corrupt his brain. <laughs> I think famous, <laughs> It'll just make him laugh. I think Famous know? Monsters was that for in, be uh, in between time... When uh, just before we got interested in books like Playboy and whatnot, I think Famous Monsters was there at that time in our lives. And it, it's a it's a charming it's a charming book and uh, about a charming subject. I've been speaking with Al Estrella and James Green. Their book is House of Ackerman, a photographic tour of the legendary Acker Mansion. Thank you for joining me, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. <laughs>